Hello, welcome to the Wasting Time podcast. We're up to what I think is episode 58. I'm Chris, here with Nick. How's it going, Nick? You good? Good, yeah. You think? You're usually more on the ball than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like 99% sure, but I didn't oh. check before, so I thought I'd throw that caveat in there, just in case. Cool. What's happening? Not much. Obviously, um, <laughs> at- stop asking that question. Yeah, yeah, we say this every time at the minute, so we're kind of <laughs> we need to get out of the habit of that. Th- this is quite quite a big episode, so we'll we, we'll keep this intro very short. Uh, just just real quickly, is there any music you've been listening to recently that is worth mentioning right now? One, I've just been I've been pretty busy, but two, I just haven't really seen much popping up. I don't know if we've like hit a bit of a lull now. You know, there was. You know, we went into kind of lockdown and the pandemic kicked off and there was things being released and things still got released early on. Um, and I wonder if now it's just kind of we're feeling the, the real slowdown of bands not being able to get together, you know, not getting studios and things like that. It's definitely, I mean, uh, maybe there's been a bit less than you'd have normally, but I, st- I feel like there's... Uh, I know you want to talk about there. some, but there definitely is less. <laughs> or maybe. Do you not think? Uh, there's, I... there's as much as much as before? Yeah. I feel like the last month there hasn't been that much that I've been personally interested in. Like 2020 as a whole, I feel like loads of music was released and it didn't feel that different to any other year. It's 2021 now. That's what I'm talking about now. (laughs) What what have you seen at the start of this year? Well, you're going to tell me about a couple, aren't you? I mean, I feel like, you know, I check new releases every Friday and like there's no shortage of it. Most notable one for me recently is that it's Mod Sun's album produced by John Feldman. I don't know if you've listened to Mod Sun at all, but it's very, uh, it's very in the vein of that Machine Gun Kelly album. I th- okay. I feel like it. It's a bit more diverse than that, and it's not just so blatantly trying to be pop punk, even though it, right. you know, it does massively dip into that world. And like on first listen, I wasn't sure about it, but now that I've spent more time with it. It's. I think it's got a bit more weight to it than that Machine Gun Kelly album, and it's okay. got. It's got some really good songs on it. It's got a couple of really shit songs on it as well, but it's definitely worth checking out. I think I think you know you you might enjoy it definitely. What 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 do you know about Mod Sons? I, I you know I didn't know that much about Mod Sun. I, I I could see from like Feldman's Instagram that he'd been working with him for ages, and I know like Mod Sun had done a song with machine gun kelly a while ago but like he's just done an interview of alternative press and i didn't realize he's kind of from our scene like he's he was in hardcore bands like in the early 2000s he was in uh i think he was in scary kids scaring kids and so he did things like warp tour and stuff so he's very much from that world and now he's kind of hit a bit of a mainstream yeah yeah and some of his stuff i think is really good as i say i don't love all of it like the the big single on this new album is a song with Avril Lavigne, um, but and it's just a, just a pop song, but it's the hook on it's really good, I think, and yeah, okay. I th- I think I think it's it's pretty cool album for the most part. Nice, I'll check it out. Yeah, apart from that, there hasn't hasn't been too much that's that's caught my ear. Yeah, not not nothing from you recently, as you say. No, I'm afraid not. Um, you're you're well, you know, more researched than me with your one suggestion <laughs> okay claiming that there's still loads of releases yeah i know i didn't really back that up very well did i <laughs> but yeah i'm sure we'll see some new stuff coming around eh? yeah yeah with that said sh- shall we just get into today's interview and like and we we talk i feel like we talk about uh john feldman and mod sun quite early on in this episode so it'd be a nice way to link into it yeah let's do it yeah so today we had Cyrus of Newfound Glory, which was very exciting for us because I think it's safe to say that we're both 
pretty big fans of Newfound Glory going back many, many years. I would, yeah, very, very safe to say. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we've, we must have attended a couple of Newfound Glory gigs together over the years. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, big thank you to Cyrus for giving us some of his time. And uh, we had, had a nice long chat to him and... Here it is. Hey, uh, <laughs> no. Cyrus. <laughs> yeah. Re- real quick, um, we said we said it was nice to meet you before, but we did. Both of us actually met you together once, and this was. I mean, you won't remember that meeting, but you'll remember the occasion. It was when you played the um, One Hundred Club with Goldfinger a couple of years oh, back. Oh, yeah! What a great show! What a great show! It I often. I remember that show because of two things. First off, uh, nerve-wracking for me to play with Goldfinger. It doesn't matter sure. if it was that show or even fast-forward to the Fireball Tour. You know, it's almost a year and a half ago now. But um, nerve-wracking because it's not my own band. So I'm playing songs that I've only played maybe 25 times, not 25,000 times, right? Sure. <laughs> um, but also, I, you know, I kind of throughout the day learned a little more about the history of that club. And it was just nuts playing that place. Like, I, I think it's... Uh, I don't know if Newfound Glory would ever play there, so it was really cool for me to be able to perform there uh, with Goldfinger. The show was insane because that was, um, if I remember, that was my first like proper just club show with Goldfinger, and, and okay. that means not a not a festival. Yeah, which means yeah. the set list is kind of like whatever John feels like. Um, Keeping you on your he, toes. <laughs> I mean, he knows that I don't, and and the the rest of the guys too. I mean, it's as of that night, um, you know, nobody's original in the band so it's like sure. uh you know you, you can only play what you know but still uh yeah very memorable how did how did that come about anyway how did that collab come about john reach out yeah uh it's actually a really cool story brandon from rancid the old drummer they used he played with goldfinger for a little while and mm-hmm. um he was doing it for a while everything was great and apparently i think uh rancid had a festival book the Groge rock festival in belgium yeah, yeah. This was, I guess, like three, four years ago. And uh, John had booked Goldfinger to play this festival called Sunfest, which is actually local to me. I'm in South Florida right now. Mm-hmm. It's in a town called West Palm Beach. It's like literally 30 minutes from my home. And um, he realized that Brandon could have played Sunfest, but it was going to be a very tough, like, are you going to make it? You're going to fly in that morning type thing. Yeah. And so uh, he was scrambling, trying to figure something out. And this was about six days before the show. And he was talking to Mike, who is the owner of SJC. And uh, Mike was like, hey, uh, Cyrus lives in in South Florida. Cyrus from Newfound Glory. It's like, I'm sure he can do it. I'm sure he'd want to do it. So they hit me up. And John's like, hey, I have this festival. Would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And he goes, well, here's the deal. It's six days away. Uh, I need you to learn, you know, an hour long set. And there's going to be no rehearsal. And he's like, are you down? And I'm like... Yeah, why not? And then the next day, I just woke up going, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> and he literally that night left me with, okay, here, um, obviously, listen to the material, whatever, I'll give you the set list. But just so you know, go on YouTube and watch these songs because live we play them a little different. And that's all he said. <laughs> and I literally had to research like 10 years of them playing, playing with Brandon, you know, the, the yeah, a couple years yeah. prior to that. And also way back in the day with Darren. To kind yeah. of understand the live variations, and we ended up doing some of those in that first show. It's very, very, very nerve wracking, oh. but oh, it was wow. an awesome show. And from there, you know, he started calling me, and uh, since they, he, he pretty much has a permanent drummer now. That's not me, but that's through, yeah. uh, you know, his the label that he's on and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's so. that guy from Girlfriends or whatever that called. I think. Yeah, exactly. And so that's one of those. And, and he called me and told me, and he's like, "Look, I'm still going to call you if I ever need you. Of course, you're like, you know, the drummer that I would love to play with, and everybody else in the band. Obviously, I'm really good friends with them, and and yeah. you know, there's a lot of history between all those guys. Right. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, so it's uh, Mike Carrera is definitely a, a staple in Goldfinger. Yeah, now, isn't of, he? yeah, of course. And Phil, who was in Story of the Year, like we yeah, go back, yeah. uh, you know, way way back, and he's an awesome, awesome guy. Um, and even Charlie, Charlie, it's so it was awesome because I was in the Goldfinger thing for a little while before Charlie joined the or rejoined the rejoined, band, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a little bit of a break where they were playing some shows with Nick, with the drummer they have right now, and then I got called to to do some more shows, and that was that Fireball tour. There was like one small performance before that. We went to John's house to rehearse. He doesn't rehearse often, so this is kind of an anomaly to actually rehearse. Yeah. So we go to John's house to rehearse for this uh, small show he's playing locally in, in L.A. And Charlie's there. And I meet him outside, and he's just like, hey, what's up? And he can come off as like a tough guy. And I'm like, what's up, man? I'm Cyrus. He's like, cool. And we go inside, and we start playing. And uh, I forget what song we played. Either Counting the Days, or maybe it was Superman. Okay. And we finished the song, and no lie. And I'll never forget this. Charlie goes, he turns to Johnny and goes, where'd this guy come from? He's pointing at me. Where'd this guy come from? And I, I was like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, that was insane. I'm like, okay. And then we played another song and <clears throat> I think we played Mind's Eye or something. Yeah. I think we did because we, I, I went into the next song on their self-titled record. You know, he was like, I can't believe you even know this. And I'm like, dude, I grew up listening to your band. You know, I literally went to shows when yeah. I was like 14 with you yeah. up on stage. So it was awesome. Great times. And, uh, John's an awesome dude. He, he kills it with the music he produces too. Like I, as, as you know, as everywhere as he is right now and kind of as much as he's like a pop guy, yeah. the songs he's putting out or he's helping put out are just awesome. Could you ever see uh newfound doing a record with him? I, I, I would love to, I don't think so. And it's, it's no knock on him or, or on us. I think, um, I don't want to say it's a style thing. I think it's a working style thing. Uh, John's okay. very hands-on, and that's a great thing. But we're also a band. We take pride in that the fact that we actually have written all of our own material. We've never had co-writers. Yeah. Um, as far as producers, like once we got away from Neil Avron uh, a couple of years into our band, we the people that we worked with, Mark Hoppus was great too, but it's like less and less as time went on have these mm -hmm. people had that much of like a influence on the songwriting because we're a band that's been together for 20 something years and we kind of know how our machine works. So we right. just do our thing, you know? So I think it might be a little tough to let John do what he does best because it would feel so weird for us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't or that it wouldn't be a great thing. It probably would be an awesome thing. Um, but also I honestly, I think he's too big for us. I, I don't, I really do. Cause we're not, you know, we're not Avril Lavigne. We're not Blink-182. We're not, uh, we're not even Mod Sun or, right. <laughs> right. you know, like a, a Machine Gun Kelly. I'm sure he helped on that record. He, I don't know if he did, yeah. but Travis did that stuff. You know, like that's, uh, that's another level from us now. I mean, okay. he's, he's yeah. super pop producer. Yeah. I mean, but you talked about, um, Newfound not doing like the smallest shows that you did at Club 100. Obviously John made that happen. Is there, I mean, is there a reason why Newfound don't kind of explore and do, do some of those old school kind of small basement -y shows? You know, I think there's always that possibility. Um, I'm trying to remember, I'm going to forget now the name of the venue we played in London uh, a couple of years ago when we were doing our 20 year, our uh, 20 years of pop punk tour. Um, oh, was it um, Underworld in Camden? Yeah. 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 You did one of the albums there, didn't you? Well, and, and we did two albums there. We were doing two albums every night. And, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We definitely played Nothing Gold. We played Nothing Gold Can Stay There, which was right. our, you know, our first, our first, uh, I guess major, not major label, just, uh, you know, our first, uh, first full length, full I should say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, did that on purpose, you know, so there, 
that nostalgia is always there. And sure. we have a great booking agent in the UK. Uh, his name is Mike Dudney. And we've been, we've been with him since the beginning of our career uh, internationally. And mm -hmm. so he, he gives us some good ideas from time to time, or he's very good at translating what we want to do. So as much as there, there's, there's the Reading and Leeds and, you know, playing, uh, uh, I don't know, just massive venues anywhere you can, all the big academies or whatever. There's also the, hey, maybe we should do a smaller show or maybe we should do two nights at this smaller place or split London and play in two different venues or things like that. So, I, you know, I don't know specifically what venues we could play or might not play, but we're always trying. Mm. I mean, how do you make a decision as a band now? Then obviously kind of growing up, you've got families, do your own thing. Do you have kind of some set agreement as a band in terms of, how much you'll do, where you'll go, or is it just kind of you get together and see what's thrown your way and, and take it from there? Well, do you want to, you want me to answer this pre-COVID or post-COVID? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, or current COVID. Uh, anything's I mean, yeah, on the I table guess pre, right now. Yeah, pre-COVID, <laughs> you know? we'll get into the the what's going on right now, I guess, in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, what you know, as as you got older and matured as a band, and you you know got your own things and your own families and kids. I mean, how do you how do you balance that now and make those decisions as a, as a as a group? Yeah, so you know, it's just one of those things where luckily we've all been in the band together now for over twenty years. We've all grown up together because we started this when we were all seventeen and eighteen, and people might have mm -hmm. had girlfriends, but nobody had families, right? So. Uh, we've been with each other through the weddings, through the divorces, through the births and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just one of those, it's almost unspoken, but uh, we try to keep it pretty democratic as far as like, look, if there's a hard decision, we're all going to weigh in on it. And then we're going to try to come to a decision. And if it's, uh, you know, nowadays, if it's two on two, well, we have a manager that's known us for a long time and she'll kind of weigh in on it as well. But otherwise, you know, it's usually it's like a three to one vote or it's mostly unanimous unless it's something kind of crazy. And, um, as far as scheduling, we don't do the schedule that we used to have, right? We're, yeah. we're not, sure. we're not like Goldfinger. We're not playing 390 something shows in a year. Like they're supposedly in the Guinness book of world records. Yeah. For doing. Yeah. Yeah. We almost <laughs> never did that. We did tour extensively when we first started, but, um, you know, you also got to be a little smarter a anyways, even nowadays, um, as much as we love the UK, as much as we love uh, all other countries, even the US, you can't play a show every day because then your 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 value goes down. You know, like if people yeah. can see you all the time, uh, maybe they'll skip this time because they know you're going to come back. Yeah. So um, you got to play decisions like that too. And, you know, uh, financially it's tough as well. It's not really about let's make as much money as possible, but it's also about there is a certain cost to get all of us somewhere where whether it's domestic or international uh to make sure that we can play the show at the level that we need to uh which involves renting some gear some other logistics things like that so those all get factored in the decision and it's one of those things where we love playing shows and we rarely turn things down uh, if we ever do say no to something it's usually because we have something else just like it or better right. in that same spot so i guess then fast forward to now um yeah. i mean what's 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 the deal right now? I mean, you you I guess you're at home at Florida with your kids, homeschooling. Is that a thing right now for you? And yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm in a well, I'm in an empty room right now. Uh, besides this curtain that's right here, uh, this is a bedroom that I'm turning into a studio. Uh, I moved mm -hmm. uh, about four months ago. I mean, most people don't move uh, during these times, but I did anyways. Um, I'm also a real estate agent, so I understand the housing market here. So sure. uh, between my wife and I, she's also an agent. We we made a decent amount of money on our home. We're able to kind of upgrade if you want to call it, but, uh, doing a lot of renovations myself, right? Because I don't want to have contractors in here the whole time and I got time now. So, uh, figuring it out YouTube university for everything. 
But anyways, I'm in like pretty much an empty room. I was setting it up as a studio. The room next to me is my my son's bedroom that has a desk set up with my laptop usually because basically what I do is I sit on the computer while he's in school all day long. And uh, he's he's only five years old. So yeah. um, it's not that you're helping him, but you're kind of helping him keep on track, right? Because it's hard for them to to uh, even focus for, for that long. So yeah, I mean, life is, is the way it is probably for almost everybody. Uh, you guys have regulations and restrictions even more than the U S has. And I think that's, that's a great thing. Obviously I'm a musician, so I'm supposed to be for all of that kind of stuff. And I do take this extremely seriously. My wife, um, is immunocompromised. So from the very start, uh, musician or not, I kind of had to really focus on this and try to do anything I can to protect myself and those around me. But as far as like COVID goes with Newfound, tours are not happening, right? Everybody understands that. And the million dollar question is, when are they going to happen again? Yeah. <laughs> and nobody knows. And it changes all the time. So, uh, you know, as far as you guys are concerned in the UK, that's crazy too. Because I, I hear late 2021, I hear 2022. I mean, you never know. And we just, mm -hmm. we want to get back as soon as we can. But obviously it's going to be in a safe way. And nobody knows if this is going to be get back and it can really only be like festivals. And I don't even know if like a Reading and Leeds works because of the amount of people that go, sure, but at least sure. it's outdoors. Or can you get back in a club with a lower capacity? And then everybody, it gets in a logistics question. Like literally if a mm -hmm. ticket price is X amount of dollars or, or whatever, X amount of money, and there's this many people there, you can generate this much income, but it costs this much to run the club and this much to get there. And next thing you know, if you're losing money, it's hard for, we'd rather do a live stream than pay to go somewhere where it's kind of risky to travel to play a show. So, um, yeah. you know, that's a tough thing right now. And then of course you have restrictions all over and, and that's the other thing that's tough, especially here in the States. A lot of States have different restrictions that might be changing with the new president, but you know, we floated the idea of, can we play shows in certain areas? But then it's like, maybe you can play a show in one state, but you got to skip four other States before you can get to another state that allows what you're trying to do. Right. And then it becomes cost prohibitive again, you know? So I don't know. I'm hoping this summer things might, I don't want to make it seem like tours are starting again, but we are getting some offers to play some outdoor shows okay. uh, towards the summer. And I think a lot of them tend to be uh, farther South and that could just be a weather thing because they know that the weather will change here in the States a little earlier, uh, you know, late spring or whatever. You probably want to have as much uh, cold and you can get some people outside. But um you know, we'll see if that, if that works out. And then we're always trying to work on that next live stream. Like everybody else is doing now is live stream. And <laughs> can you do something different? You say that, I think you guys have been probably more active than a lot of, a lot of other groups. Well, I've certainly seen on social media, even if it's just, you know, your, your live streams, but even if it's just, you know, Chad doing his, his, you know, his guitar tutorial things, you know, you've got yeah. your videos up. It's like, I guess, yeah, always seeing something from you guys anyway. So I suppose that's what you make gonna make use of these digital digital platforms right now more than ever, right? Yeah, totally. And you know what? I, I I have to say and give a little bit of credit to, you know, just a lot of other bands out there because I will never say that we are pioneers of any kind of technology. Um, you know, we've been around for a long time and I will date myself, but when we first started touring, uh maybe MySpace was there, you know, Facebook, but nobody was using it as such. Right. And your internet connection consisted of, if you go to somebody's house, maybe they'll let you dial up to the internet. Right. right. And you were yeah. looking at maps in a book to get to where you're going. So, sure. you know, it, it was hard for us. We had to keep embracing technologies as they get popular. But mm -hmm. the second that this stuff started going down with COVID and, and shutting down, I should say, 
you know, everybody was going online and everybody was doing very, very creative ways of connecting with their audience. And for us, it, the biggest thing was, well, none of us is like this person who, you know, streams on Twitch every night or any of that kind of stuff. But so. how can we like somehow incorporate that kind of stuff into our workflow? And we also don't live near each other. Uh, Ian lives about 20 minutes, our bass player lives about 20 minutes away from me. But otherwise, Chad's, uh, you know, a thousand miles away in Tennessee and mm -hmm. Jordan's in California. So we have to come together to do things uh, unless it's like a, a chat like this. But in order to play, you got to come together and that costs money. Again, logistics are tough. So the live stream thing was born out of that and also born out of necessity because we had recorded Forever and Ever Times Infinity, our, yeah. our latest record. We had recorded that. Literally, I left after I did my drum tracks to do the Fireball tour with Goldfinger. Right. I left the next, yeah. the following day. Uh, yeah. out of the drums, uh, out of the studio, back to my drums and left. So that was already in the pipeline as of late 2019. We knew it was coming out in May of 2020. And we, we actually pushed that date slightly thinking yeah, that, well, yeah. COVID will kind of blow over. It'll take, so, and obviously yeah. it wasn't. And next thing you know, uh, Les and Jake did the same thing and they waited and waited and waited with Silver Linings, their new record. But it's finally like, how long are you going to wait? You know, next thing you know, these songs are going to be four years old and you're trying to release them. So, um, you know, we had that album coming out. It's like, how do you promote it? Well, you might as well do a live stream. Yeah. And then we played 40 songs in that live stream, but you know, <laughs> we, we did a live stream and, and, and that's the thing with a live stream too, is, uh, it's great to go out there and play. And for us, when we play, I think our biggest draw is that, uh, the crowd is involved and that is the number one thing that is taken away from a live stream because you can look at people chatting and that's cool and you can play uh we i think sound okay when we play live but we sound way better in a club when it's not like coming out of two little computer speakers right. um so some of this stuff gets lost in translation so we were just trying to figure out how do we make our live stream stand out right and um we've done that with every live stream everything we, we always try to make a difference so the first one was the record release show let's play 40 songs let's also spotlight this record then we fast forward and we had the 20 year, um, the self-titled anniversary. Well, obviously we're going to play that record in full and it's going to be all about that. And then we did this Christmas special and we're trying to work on our next one right now. So okay. hopefully something pretty soon. Okay. Can you, can you say anything about that right now? No, okay. I won't say anything. We'll just, we're, we're trying to figure out, we're trying to figure out, uh, most importantly where, cause I think we're trying to, uh, change the venue, uh, from the place that we had the like sound stage that we had done the first two live streams. We're trying to mm -hmm. see if we can take it, uh, to a different location. And, um, you know, present a different, a different, yet another side of newfound glory, I guess I should say. Okay. Yeah. Look, look forward to that. Um, yeah. you, sorry, just a couple of questions on, on, on those recent things you've done. Like mm -hmm. let, let's go with the most recent. So the, the Christmas one, I, I got my ticket for that. Watch that just before Christmas. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Yeah. I that, appreciate that. that. Yeah. It seemed like you guys had fun making that first yeah. before, before like I get you to talk about that a little bit, I just have a slight bone to pick with you because like you know you know when you were playing like the trivia game and mm -hmm. and like obviously you're referencing all these famous christmas films i just find it criminal that you didn't reference muppet's christmas carol which i'm sorry is the great is is the greatest christmas film ever and also in the same thing i think the present you got was was muppet socks i'm like and even now they're still not mentioning it yeah it was it was animal i love the sorry. christmas special but that but that, <laughs> that was the only letdown for me i had to get yeah no uh, uh point taken i i apologize <laughs> you know for the for the questions i can uh i can say i shouldn't be the one to fully blame actually uh truth be told chad's older brother was the one who okay. wrote those questions, right. and uh, he's a he's a huge movie buff, so he should be the one that you that you point out did not include <laughs> Muppets Christmas Carol. He might have, and maybe we did not get to that question. 
uh, we started doing that trivia game and some of the questions got cut out. We realized that out of like the first eight questions, I think we got one right. <laughs> and we're like, this is not good. Nobody really reviewed the questions before right. we went into the game because we didn't want to have an unfair advantage. And then it's like, wait, we, maybe we don't know as much as we think we do about these <laughs> movies. But it was really fun. And yeah, you're right. The uh, the Christmas special overall, it was fun to do. A um, little nerve wracking for me because uh, that was the the first time in a while that I would I did things without a mask on. Because, oh, okay. uh, you know, not, not to really try to, try to, uh, get on in a lot, but I'm, everybody in the band is very aware of what's going on. Everybody in the band obviously follows all the precautions that our governments kind of, uh, put in place. But at the same time, when it comes to performing and being on stage, well, you know, somebody like Jordan can't sing with a mask on, right? Sure. Um, some of the other guys are a little more lenient when it comes to the mask wearing and that's totally fine. Everybody can do their own thing, but I was always very, very hardcore. Like we played a show in Chicago back uh, around uh, Halloween and outdoor oh, the drive-in one. Yeah. Yeah. And I wore my mask the whole time and people are right. like, you know, you don't need to, we're outside. And I'm like, I, I just do, you know, and we did the live streams and I wore a mask. Well, I'm going to do it because we're in an enclosed room. And again, Jordan can't because he's, he's singing. So, you know, in some ways it's, it's not really trying to say that they're, they're doing anything different than me, but that was for me a little scary because we made the choice that, and, and and I chose that I would take the mask off when we were filming, um, because I can't do like a Home Alone skit where I'm supposed to be the pizza guy and be wearing a mask. Um, it just wasn't going to come off. And uh, to be fair, I got the I got the choice to not participate in that stuff if I wanted to, but I did want to. You know, uh, I wanted to do it. So everybody was pretty careful going in as far as like what they were doing, uh, getting tested if they could, things like that. Uh, yeah. We shot that in Chad's house, so it was a okay. controlled environment. Yeah. Um, and everybody on the production was was wearing a mask 100% of the time when they weren't actually shooting. Um, oh, yeah. And if, you know, it was people working, they were, they were on. So it was very safe, but it was uh, it was in my head. It was a little nerve-wracking at that time. I mean, how's things been in the last couple of weeks? Obviously, since um, Biden, you know, came, came in, especially in Florida, is it? I, I guess you've probably not been out to see... You don't see many people or see much of a reaction on the streets really right well, now. But. I, I know I'm sure it's the same with you guys in the UK. And of course, I don't really understand the geography of the UK as far as like uh, different regions kind of go towards different political parties or, or sure. ideologies. But here in the States, um, Florida historically is very, uh, they call it red, which means yeah. uh, very yeah. Republican, very conservative, um, yeah. a very big Trump uh, a state. Yeah, I mean, he he just moved back down, you know, 45 minutes away from me. Um, I I I am not a big Trump supporter. Um, you know, I don't mind saying that I didn't vote for him in this newest election, in this last election. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am pleased that Biden got elected and that there's a new administration here. Uh, that being said, I'm just like every other American. You're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. You're hoping that the government um, will take a little more of a national kind of reins on this. Uh, but it's a massive country, uh, 50 states, 300 and something million people. And it's very hard to get everybody to agree to do something. So um, mm -hmm. we've heard a lot. And the biggest thing, obviously, for everybody is the vaccine. And can we get this vaccine rolled out? And every day it's hopefully this summer. No, it's going to be the fall. And then the thing that a lot of people aren't really talking about as much because uh, my mom just got the vaccine and our, our elderly are getting it first and, and healthcare yep. workers is yep. when you get it, you can't just run around in the streets like nothing, like everything's good, right? You still have to protect yourself and that's how we kind of stop the spread. And I think people are starting to think, well, I can get the vaccine and the next day or in two weeks, it's back to normal and it's not. 
And that's the big thing for us as musicians is if we can get everybody or let's say an overwhelming majority of people to get a vaccine, can we still have a show? Because yeah. you still are potentially spreading it. So, mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll see. And that's out of our control because even the, the venues, the, the, you know, promoters, all the, they're the ones who are basically telling us when they think this stuff's going to happen that the like live nations, which are the big talent, uh, you know, buyers out here, the big promoters, they're the ones that are like, Nope, we're not doing anything else this year, or at least not until the fall or whatnot. So mm -hmm. we're kind of waiting to see from them what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, before we move on, I have one more question about the Christmas thing before, before, before Nick. Do, <laughs> okay. What else did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's this, no, no, no. Um, the 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 new songs and the re-recordings. I just are they gonna? Are you guys gonna try and put them out like on streaming services next Christmas or anything? Because like, you know, it's fun to hear them, and I just I just I've seen a few people ask that online and stuff, and I just wondered if you had any plans to actually release a audio version of that. Yes. Okay. That's all I have to Good. say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta wait. No. I'm sorry. I you know Christmas in July is great, but not when you you don't want to release that in July. So no, of course. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, we it's. I think we didn't have enough time really to. We could have put it up on streaming services, but I think we also we love the physical product, um, yeah. mainly vinyl because nobody buys CDs anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so we wanted to be able to put the vinyl out, and vinyl takes months to make. It really does. Sure. Um, people are. I literally myself just got copies of the self-titled vinyl like uh two weeks ago you know oh wow I've, yeah and that's from september right it just takes yeah, a while yeah, of course um so yeah we definitely have plans for uh the christmas stuff to come out um this year cool. now but in a while <laughs> just in just in terms of like the, the the having something physical your music being on something physical and this question on my list here is um kind of as as we moved out of you know out of that world and that cd world in the digital world there's a lot, I guess, a lot of bands that really didn't survive that. Was there a, do you credit anything, um, any, anything in particular for Newfound getting through that era and moving into the, you know, the new digital music era? I think we're very fortunate because we were on the cusp when we got popular. It was towards the end of the physical world, but not at the point where it was already gone. And at mm -hmm. the same time, the streaming had already started, but it was like the, you know, Napster type, you know, underground, right. like it wasn't yeah. commercialized yet. And that actually really did contribute to our success because our peers at that time, our audience were high school to college kids, you know, like this, uh, late mid to late teenagers. That's how they heard about music because if Spread you weren't fast. on, yeah. yeah. And if you weren't on the radio or like a big TV channel or something, you know, you weren't going to get your music out there unless you went on tour and we didn't tour all the time. It was hard. Um, and then, you know, you had independent record stores and stuff like that, but you really relied on, or at least for us, it just happened that we exploded on the fact that people were able to download our cover of the Titanic song or, or yeah. this track, or even some songs to this day. I mean, not that I go on Napster or any, or if it even exists, um, but there was like a few songs that we covered, but we never did. It was just mislabeled and people started sharing them saying, oh, Newfound Glory covered this or whatever. And it, it wasn't us, but at least your name's out there, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, so all of that stuff helped and it's crazy because when we got on, uh, universal on MCA records, uh, the major label and put out our self-titled record, the first, you know, major label, sure. uh, uh, <clears throat> full length that we put out, we did really well, uh, not immediately, but it really picked up steam, especially when we went on, went on tour at Blink-182 and then Sticks and Stones did amazing and Catalyst did even better. 
they always, the guys that, now this is the record label talking. So they're all about sales, right? And of course they were hurt in a sense, or at least had to completely rethink their model when streaming became the norm. But, yeah. um, they told all of us, they were like, you know, if you guys, man, if this was just like four years, four years earlier, it, it would, you guys would be huge. I mean, oh, you would be playing yeah. arenas no matter what and all this stuff, right. but we're thinking to ourselves, okay, you know, it's nice to say, of course you're saying that now and it's like a moot point. Like you can't turn back time. Also Blink-182 probably wouldn't have released Dude Ranch yet. And even though Green Day was out, we might not have been able to get in that mainstream because sure. the door wasn't as open. So it doesn't really matter to say that, but it is true in some senses that the sales obviously went down a whole bunch when streaming came up. And for us, the biggest thing was that we always, uh, internally, we were always about shows and playing yeah. live music, right? And that's never gone away. I mean, I say that right now and we're in COVID where you can't really play live shows, but you know, that's never yeah, changed yeah. as far as, uh, you know, the, the streaming thing or like the streaming thing did. So that I think sure. is the main reason why we have always kind of had this, this trajectory that's been normal or upwards and not this huge, like, you know, cut when, when something like the, the streaming thing happened. Did you feel like you had to do more touring because of it or not? Or you kind of, you find uh, with, the, with what you were doing at the time? No, I it, yeah, I don't think it, we had to do more touring. I think we, uh, you know, we were always, again, we because we put so much emphasis on tours and because we made sure that we picked the right tours, which, yeah, we would do the Warp Tour every other summer or something like that. But when we did our headlining tours, it's let's bring out a band that works with us. Let's not go just play a show because some promoter or some record label thinks this band will be good with us. You know, um, we want to do the shows with bands that we know that our crowd's going to want to see, or that is going to bring a bigger crowd. And then you bring really cool opening bands with us and all this stuff amounts to these great shows so that people will continue to come back to them. And you try to play places that you do well. That's why we, we kept going to the UK and we wouldn't play Reading every time they, they offered it. You know, sometimes we would say no to the festivals and we would play club shows instead mm -hmm. because we knew that it would make it even bigger or that's why we incorporated Slam Dunk back into it a couple of years ago. We took a long break from Slam Dunk. And honestly, yeah. a lot of it was because Reading always gave us great offers. But eventually you go, well, you could play in front of 30,000 people on the main stage, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should play Slam Dunk instead, which is almost as big now. Yeah, but also right. sometimes yeah. like, let's go play the lockup tent or lockup stage at Reading sure. versus the main stage. And that year they wanted us to play main stage. And we said, you know what? Can we play the lockup tent? And can we play last instead or second to last? You know? It would be better for us. I think it would it would feel yeah. better, and people would then talk about it because you 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 know have this event where nobody can get in the tent because there's so many people or something, and you make it special. Um, so yeah, I mean we we we've done that thing, and then you know the streaming thing. I think we just readjusted our expectations, and not that I don't want it to sound bad, but the record label always wants you to sell as many copies as possible. Right. For our band, of course, we'd love to sell as many copies as as possible. But if this next record doesn't sell as much as the record before, I don't care as long as I'm still playing shows and hopefully bigger shows than the last time. And that's what we've done. And I think about five, six years ago, we really reinvented ourselves as far as like just, you know, making our live shows something that everybody wanted to go see. And it was a little bit of everything. Like we internally stepped it up as a band. We kind of made this effort to make sure that our show was presented a little more professionally. Even though, you know, we don't have computers playing backing tracks and all that stuff. It's like, look, we got to put on a good show here. We got to make sure that our sets like run well. 
Uh, we brought lights out for the first time, honestly, since 2003. We brought lights out like two years ago and tried to incorporate that back in our production. And, you know, just, again, doing things that make it where people want to go. And it's not just some random show at a club with this band that's been around for 20-something years. Right. I remember Jordan having a few costumes at Slam Dunk last year. <laughs> yeah, you know, do what you can. Um, of course, that... now. That was built in because we had just released our cover yeah, record, the, the yeah, third yeah, from the screen of yeah, stereo. So, and we yeah. did that in the States as well. And it was cool, but <laughs> Hey, you know what? We did something fun at slam dunk, um, the, the, that year where we played uh power of love, uh, the Huey Lewis cover. And we brought the lesson Jake guys out to play with us. Mm -hmm. And that was like, well, we're not going to practice that. We're just going to hit them up and say, Hey, can you play some horns? with us and they did and it was awesome yeah it was really yeah. awesome i think yeah. i released yeah. one of those on my on my youtube page the drum cover and um yeah i mean just you know you got to do things that are fun yeah we were both there i was i was the south one he was at the north one and uh, great but, but both very much yeah, enjoyed sure it <laughs> yeah weather wasn't um, so great but yeah, yeah. yeah well, I come, i've come to expect that out of your country and i don't <laughs> i don't mind that honestly because when it's raining outside and at least it's kind of cool that's good and yeah. here in florida it rains and you just sweat sorry so if, if it's cool, um, I just want to ask a couple of questions about about the early days, because like, so the way we normally do these shows is like we we kind of like go through our guests' journey of their of their career. But with yeah. you, I know it's a bit different because like, we're we're both like big newfound glory fans, and if like if we took that approach with you, we'd just be here all afternoon, and <laughs> there's just and I think there's a lot of stuff we probably already know from hearing you on other stuff and that kind of stuff. But but having said that, there's like a couple of things I you know wouldn't wouldn't mind uh, asking you about. One of them was just like, you know, do you, do you ever miss those early sort of drive-through days? And, uh, and I, I, you know, I just wonder if, if, if you're still like mates with, with any of those, uh, those bands that kind of came up with you, like the, the Midtowns and the Phoenix TXs and, and like what, what your memories from those days are. And I mean, the, those, those were the days for sure. Right. And uh, it's not, it's almost no interview you can go by without mentioning something that had to do with the drive-through, you know, scene, whether it's a band or the label itself or just those times. And of course, that was a massive part of our career. And drive-through, we will always have to give so much uh, thanks and appreciation for because they took the chance on us when, when literally nobody else did or would. So, yeah, I mean, do I think about it, back about those times? Totally. In fact, uh, Newfound, we just had a post on, on Instagram yesterday or the day before that was showing a Warp Tour uh, flyer from 2000. And it's like, I uh, saw that. Yeah. when you look at it, you know, I think the caption was, when you look at this, it looks fake. Because yeah. nowadays you look back and you look at that lineup and you're like, how can that lineup exist, especially yeah. together in the same festival? But that's what was happening, right? And we were so stoked at that time to be a part of, of Warp Tour. Um, like most people would say, you know, I wish, I guess I would have, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, taken it all in a little more because you didn't realize that 20 years later, it's not going to be there anymore or not mm -hmm. be the same. Um, but that's, I think true with life and in any way that you or uh, approach it or go through as far as like being mates with those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, we're still, I'm not going to say I'm super close with any of them. You, when you have like a tour friend or a tour buddy, it's very interesting because when you're on tour, you're like best friends with them. And then so, when you guys go back home, you don't necessarily call them every day unless they like yeah. live near you and you see them. But if you see them on tour again, whether it's a festival or not, you're right back to being best friends. And like warp tour has been awesome with that because you meet so many people and it's like years up you know, for an infinite, uh, or eternal connection with them. Right. You'll always, sure. always, uh, be able to hang out with them whenever you see them. Um, the cool thing is that a lot of these bands, 
you know, people grow up and a lot of the drive through bands aren't around anymore, but the guys are still somewhat involved in the industry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, let's see, Matt Watts from the starting line works at, uh, at Fender guitars. So we mm -hmm. see him randomly, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Um, I know Donnie, the original drummer of Phoenix TX is, oh, yeah. uh, he's a drum tech for Joan Jett, <laughs> who the drummer of Joan Jett is actually, um, the old drummer of the Bouncing Souls. Oh, right, um, okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy. You, you see a lot of these guys now in, in like normal life in a sense, but still with music. And it's really cool to be able to see them and reminisce and, you know, go back on those old times, but also everybody's got their things going on. Yeah. So what, what about musically? Do you ever listen to any of those contemporaries from, from those days now? Do you ever catch yourself like listening to a Midtown CD or whatever and thinking, oh, this holds up really well? Yeah, totally. Um, every now and then I'll do it. You know, uh, Spotify's been streaming services are great for that because sure, you yeah, don't have yeah. to have this massive CD booklet, um, you know, or, or have a, a huge iTunes library. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm guilty of it. I'll go back and listen to the like 90s pop punk throwback or, you know, 2000s pop punk throwback. Sure. And you hear that old, uh, you know, like what it is to burn by Finch or something. And look, I'll tell you, I remember when Midtown did, um, what did it say? Save the... Save the girl, save the world, lose save the girl. The world, lose the girl, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was with Mark Trombino. Yeah. And Mark Trombino produced that. And, you know, us in Midtown, it was like we would put out a record, then they would put out a record, then we would put out a record, and we went back and forth. And every time a drive through band put out a record, especially if they weren't a brand new band, it would be better than the last record. So I remember being jealous when that record came out because we had put out Nothing Gold Could Stay, or maybe it was from the screen of your stereo, the first one, which we recorded yeah. at home, like in Florida ourselves. And then they get get to work with Mark Trombino. And it's like, you guys are, you know, it's an independent label drive through is, but you're working with this massive producer that did Dude Ranch and Jimmy Eat World. And, I know. Yeah, and it's like, nice. come on, that's not fair. You know, and then we go to the next record and it's Neil Avron. And when we went into the studio with Neil Avron, we didn't really know much about him. And it's not that we, we, we knew the record would sound good, but yeah. it wasn't Mark Trombino or it wasn't Jerry Finn that had worked with, with Blink-182. And of course, fast forward, Neil is like the most in-demand uh, rock mixer there is. Like he mixes every song now and he's won so many you know awards and, and accolades for just one of those like, did did we do something good or or I, I always wish that we could have done this or whatever. And yeah, it's you're, you're so stoked on all those people that are around you because everybody is building up this the scene that became the drive-through scene that literally it was like anything drive-through put out was massive. I mean, just in terms of like the acceleration of your su success at that time, obviously, I mean, over here, hit or miss when that landed, it just wasn't off, off, off the telly. It wasn't off Kerrang channel. Like, um, was there a moment where you guys just kind of had that realization like, right, this is, this is really going somewhere. It's gone from, you know, just us getting together as a band as, bunch of young lads and you know now it's becoming a real success or was it just a i guess a bit of a gradual thing that yeah you didn't really notice you know to not i, I don't want to be be cheeky here but uh honestly the first time that we came to the uk i think uh that was one of the moments where it's like wait a second this is this is nuts and i feel like it wasn't i don't remember the the first show it might have been the cockpit leads Okay. Well, I think that that the cockpit show at Leeds uh, was our first train ride uh, to to get up there. We we took train up there, or uh, maybe we took a sprinter and then took a took a tube to where we needed to go. But we got off at the stop, and there was people waiting for us. And it was like, wow, you know, you're like five thousand miles away from your home, and there's people here yeah. to see us. And of course, the shows are insane, especially a place like the cockpit. Um, so yeah, I think it was when we when we really started traveling. 
and you realize that people know your music, people want to hear your music and they, they, you know, they're like wanting your autographs and all that kind of stuff. It's definitely something special. And so that's why I absolutely love traveling internationally and not just playing the shows, but immersing myself in the culture. I absolutely love it out in the UK. I think it's great. Um, and anywhere we go, whether it's UK, Australia, Japan, you know, new places, we've gone to some spots in Southeast Asia. There's still countries I, I wish that we could go to, you know, that kind of stuff is nuts because I have a lot of friends that have maybe went, been to one or two countries. Some friends have never left the U S sure. and it's like, yeah. I have been to easily 25 plus countries. I've been to like four or five continents and I've done this for over 20 years and I've gone so many times. It's insane. I've gotten passports because I filled up my passport. Like most people a lot of people don't even get a passport, you know, yeah. so. Is there any anywhere you've toured? I was going to say, if there's any, is there anywhere you've toured where you've actually gone back on like a family family vacation? Um, I've gone to Europe um, on a vacation. My my wife, uh, her family is extended family is from Hungary. Now we okay. play, we've played only one show in Hungary. Uh, it was outside of Budapest. It was like uh, two hours outside of there. And it was a, a just a summer festival. Mm -hmm. um, but that was actually two years after I had gone to Hungary for the first time. So we had never okay. really traveled. Like well, the one place that I wish that we would have gone a little more is Eastern Europe. Um, admittedly, it's a little tough when you get out there because, uh, you know, it can get a little more rural or it's a little harder to travel. Uh, sometimes language barriers can be tough. Um, we absolutely love the UK because we feel like we can coexist with you guys. Uh, besides driving on the other side of the road, everything else is almost the same, right? Um, but then when you get into mainland Europe and you start getting away from the UK, uh, you get away from a lot of English and, you know, it's, it's tough. The food's not the same as what you're used to. And, you know, things might close very early at like four in the afternoon. And next thing you know, you're just sitting in a uh, smoke filled club in the middle of nowhere in Germany, waiting to play a show to a couple hundred kids that are well-deserved and really want it, but it's just not yeah. the same. Um, but I love it. I love it out there. So yeah, I've, I've been in Europe a couple of times on my own, but also I think one of the cool things, very fortunate here, I've traveled so much that now a lot of times when my family, when we want to travel, it's like, let's go somewhere that I would never get to go with newfound. So for my honeymoon, I went to Bora Bora and I went there because newfound's not going to play a show in Tahiti or French Polynesia or anywhere like that. Let me go there because I'll never, otherwise I'll never go there. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to a little island off of Puerto Rico. I, I do, I, I think I favor going to uh, Caribbean islands or at least uh, beach destinations. But yeah, I'll never pass up a travel, uh, a chance to travel, I should say. Yeah, Bora Bora, very beautiful part of the world. <laughs> yeah, very expensive to get out there, but yeah. very beautiful. I mean, was there was there a point in those early days where you guys, um, I guess, where you thought you were you hit 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 a peak? Like, is there, like, was it sticks and stones? Was it like, was there a moment where you felt you started to fall into a bit of mainstream, like mainstream kind of category? Yeah, totally. I think it was, uh, in between sticks and stones and catalyst. And so, okay. uh, when, you know, self-title record came out and like I said, when it first came out, we, we were on the charts here in the U S but then it wasn't until a couple months later that, uh, like we made the video for hit or miss and it got picked up on MTV out here and then started getting some radio play and, the other singles off that record didn't really do as well, but everybody was waiting for our next record, which was Sticks and Stones. And mm -hmm. we knew when we were making it that it was something special. But ironically, My Friends Over You um, was that song that almost didn't get recorded. And that's a whole other story. But it was like literally the day before I went in a drum track that Chad was like, hey, I have this riff. We should do it. And I'm like, oh, another song? Come on. <laughs> and that's My Friends Over You. But we went to go release that. That was in uh, March of 2002. I think we were in Australia uh, on a 
on a warp tour actually warp tour in 2002 when we were releasing or about to release that that record came out and it sold 91,000 copies in its first week which was number four on the u.s billboard charts and that was like come on give me a break i think yeah i think uh i don't know what the actual highest charting thing our self-title was at but it it debuted at like 198 on the charts and now we're number four there's only three albums in the country that sold more than us that that week yeah that's when you're just like give me come on (laughs) this is a this is crazy right uh mtv starts playing my friends over you i mean it's like uh, buzzworthy back here it was like a thing and you know we get a gold record out of it and things are just really kicking and then we get the honda civic tour and the honda civic tour was in 2003 that was us and good charlotte yeah uh, co-headlining that tour here in the u.s and that was in arenas um and some outdoor uh massive like amphitheaters that a lot of the places we played on that tour were the same venues that we had played two years prior with Blink-182, with Blink-182 right. headlining yeah, to yeah, twenty yeah. to 25,000 people. And now you're fast forward two years and it's us in Good Charlotte playing the same venues to the same crowds, twenty to 25,000 people. And those shows were just insane because we would we would be in a city and we'd go sound check and then like a couple of us, and we were hanging out with Good Charlotte the whole time and MXPX was on that tour, Less Than Jake, like all sure. of our friends, it was sure. great. So we'd like during the day go, let's go into town and you know go find a restaurant and eat or something, get away from this arena and you hop in somebody's car turn on the ra- the radio station and they're playing your music because they're advertising that show you know so it's like you couldn't escape what you were doing yeah. and i think that's when like that was really the peak where you just it's nuts because you are in a sense part of pop culture pop culture at that time um and when catalyst came out in 2004 we sold 139,000 copies even more than six and stone so we were number three on the charts and so th- there was like no looking back and it was everything was going upward and then the record label totally changed on us mm-hmm. the uh you know higher like uh hierarchy of the record label changed the president was fired and replaced and all this stuff and everything changed then and that was right around the time when streaming just took off itunes sure. became a huge thing and next thing you know record labels are scrambling and if you're not a massive pop band and you know on pop radio which rock radio kind of died right then too and if you weren't that you weren't going to hold on and so that's when everything changed in our career and we really had to find out what was important to us and how we were popular and realize that as much as the sales and the record uh, the radio and all that stuff was cool that wasn't really what it was about for us it was touring so that's kind of when we had to get take a little uh little look into ourselves and just do some soul searching and make sure that we were going to be able to continue as a band because we okay. knew that we weren't going to be on a big record label for too much longer. We knew that we weren't going to be on the radio for too much longer, mm-hmm. but we also knew that we could probably sustain a career playing to a thousand to 2000 people a night. Right. And that's what we've done. And now it seems to get a little, it's getting a little bigger and a little bigger every, uh, every tour since then. So. Yeah. Did you go looking for another label straight away then, or did you just take some time and kind of just wait for, no, we wrote it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody was telling us, Hey, look, this stuff happens all the time. It's totally fine. You know, record labels employ a lot of people, a lot of people change in the right, it's all good. But uh, I think too many people changed at the same time. And when you have things like a president change of a record label, president has a lot of influence of any company, but he comes in and he's got this roster of like a hundred acts. He doesn't necessarily know everything about a hundred acts. He's got his mm-hmm. few that he already knows or that he's friends with or whatever, but they're going to look at numbers. Yeah. And like, we're a band that you can't look at numbers. We got signed to a record label 
not because we were selling CDs. We got signed because we were drawing kids to a mm. to a, you know concerts. The record label uh, MCA when they signed us, uh, we were already on drive through. But MCA, there's a whole thing about yeah. how MCA, which is the major label, yeah. was able to upstream the like a uh, pool. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. They came to see us. MCA did in Connecticut at a uh, the venue called Hanover House, which literally was an abandoned house, I believe, or maybe a warehouse or something. It was not this like state of the art club. And they knew right away they wanted to sign us because there was like 800 kids. Oh, there's over capacity in this place, screaming every word to every song. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they signed us because these right. people believed in it, the record label. But you can't necessarily make somebody believe by just telling them who our band is. They really need to experience it to find out, right? And right. so that's the kind of stuff that gets, you know, it's just hard because the more and more people that change, you know, they come in and they might have a different idea or think this or think that. So, it was a couple more years of shuffling around on the universal family of, uh, of labels because that changed a whole bunch, what label we were on within mm-hmm. universal. And then pretty soon we were like, you know what, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We want to figure it out on our own. And, um, to make it really short, that's when we went to epitaph and we were there for a couple of years and then now hopeless. Cool. And bridge nine as well in between, in between. Yeah. Uh, you know, bridge nine is a great label too. And that was, uh, we needed them at that time because we basically wanted to release a record ourselves. And, uh, rather than actually releasing it on our own label and worrying about that bridge nine is a great label, hardcore label out of the, the Northeast here in the U S and obviously had ties to them because of, you know, Chad kind of coming from the hardcore scene and having yeah. so many friends in that scene currently, or at the time as well. And so, uh, they were cool and they stepped in when we needed them to right then. Cause I remember, like for instance, the ISHC stuff that we did, International Superheroes of Hardcore, yeah, uh, that was released on Bridge Nine. That yeah. little split that we did, that was recorded while we were writing Coming Home, right? Because we Good. were in this house, living in this house, writing and recording Coming Home, and um, you know, it's like the <laughs> most polar opposite things you could have because you got Coming Home, which was like that slower side of Newfound Glory that we were just messing around with for the first time, and then you have ISHC, which is like not Newfound Glory at all, but the same guys, but total hardcore. And we, we, we sat on that for a little while, but then after coming home, when the label just totally fell apart on us, it's like, well, yeah. what are we going to do? We don't just want to write another record. Well, we should go release this ISHC stuff and it'll be fun. And that's what it was. It's like, let's have fun again and stop worrying about all the label politics and drama. And So I, I, you know, Nick, unless there's anything, you know, I've, I've left out that, that you, you know, you want to pull me up on. I don't, I don't, there's a couple of things, Cyrus, I'd like to ask you about that, that last record. And then after that, mm-hmm. just, just a couple of sort of general general questions if that's cool with you yeah of course um yeah so infinity on high forever and I ever just, times infinity infinity on high was a great record also by fallout boy but fucking hell i don't know yeah. it's great it's, you know we uh <laughs> we use the infinity symbol to to differentiate i can't believe it's, fine. Have, it's a tongue twister I, for myself so don't worry yeah I don't even you don't like even like Fallout Boy. I don't even like Fallout Boy. That's why. Like <laughs> Look, I, I think that record's great because I think Neil Avron still produced that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no I mean, no, no diss on Fallout Boy. I just personally, personally not into them. Um, so, so that's unfortunate. I mixed it up with that. Anyway, your record. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just wonder how you're feeling about that, like half a year on, because for me, that's even though I can't remember its name, that's like maybe one of for me, like my favorite New Found Glory records. So the self-titled radio surgery and this one uh like i just i think the songwriting on it like some of those choruses are just they just work so well they're so huge um just wonder how you're feeling about that record now and and what how you what the reaction's been from your perspective well i i definitely appreciate you saying all that um forever and ever times infinity that if you want to call it the newest record which did come out 
uh, you know, eight months ago now. (laughs) It's when we were writing that again, this was pre COVID we were writing it and we had been touring a lot. We had been touring off of from the screen year stereo part three, uh, cover record, which whenever we do those records, it's, uh, it's not to buy us time in between two releases, but we know it will buy us time because you're you're doing cover songs that aren't really too tough to figure out because they're already written for you. But we had so much fun on those tours and they were massive shows. And so uh, our feeling as a band, as like a, a unit was so strong at the time that going into the writing and recording, which we started on that tour for forever and ever times infinity, um, I think we were just firing all cylinders and it really was one of those like, well, let's really think about over the 20 years we've been a band, what, what it is that people enjoy about our music, right? Take out the live show, take out the marketing or any of this stuff, the music we have, what do people enjoy? What, what do they not really like? And what do they like? And the thing that we kept coming back to as far as liking is guitar riffs and catchy choruses. And so it's like, well, yeah. let's, I mean, you don't want to sound stale and make sure that that's all you do, but let's really focus on that. So Chad just started like riff machining where basically he was writing every guitar riff he could think of. And then we would try to put together choruses with it. So I remember in that, cause I do a lot of our like demo recordings. So we're in the back of the bus on these, uh, from the screen, stereo part three tours, just recording riff after riff after riff. And I'm putting fake drums to it. And we're just kind of seeing how it sounds. Yeah. And that's a lot of those songs started like that. And they didn't really change too much. Um, but yeah, even recording that record, we brought Steve Evitz in. Steve is a, a great guy that we've known for a long time, but what had never really worked with until from the screen year stereo part three, where he mixed it. And that record was awesome. It sounded great. So we brought him back to, uh, to produce, uh, this new record. And it was great because even he pushed us a little bit in ways that we never thought of, which just, uh, you know, kind of the last little bits of songwriting or maybe repeating this part an extra time. Or did you think about doing this this way? And Uh, You know, I will agree with you that there is some extremely catchy stuff on this last record. And, you know, every band, when you ask them about their new record, well, you know, what does it sound like? Oh, it sounds like, uh, you know, it's like the best newfound glory stuff ever. Or, you know, it's classic where you say, it sounds like our old stuff. You're going to love it. It just sounds like that. But (laughs) in a lot of ways, it is. I mean, we really did like go back to the, the, the old sound kind of. I mean, yeah, we have better equipment. We play better. But. Like it's, you know, honing in on those riffs and the catchy choruses. So yeah, it's awesome to hear you say that because that means that our, our goal was accomplished. Yeah. What's your favorite song off it? Um, hard to say. I always will say Himalaya and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's a little different because it's not really like the old stuff. That's more like the ISHC, I guess, (laughs) if you want to call it. Um, I, I absolutely love that song we were writing and that was one of those that was like, while we were doing pre-production. So this is only about three or four days before I started doing drum tracks, Chad was like, Hey, I wrote the song last night. Um, we should just try it. And it wasn't finished. And we like finished it that day within a few hours. And whenever songs do that, it's like, you got to put this on the record. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I I think Himalaya is great, but, um, I even like how the record starts, uh, shook by your shaved head. Love Um, the chorus on that one. Yeah. And that was one of the first demos we did for, for this album. And, uh, it really did not change at all from the demo. Maybe the, the tempo slightly changed, but, to have a record that starts, you know, with just this, this, it was almost like understatement. We, that's, that's the way that we thought of sure. yeah, from Sticks yeah, and Stones. So yeah, you know, it's kind of got that chugga chugga at the end. It's that same riff, but in like a halftime part. And 
to me, I, I, I was able to bring all these things like, uh, just like introspect as we're doing it. And I'm like, do you guys realize this is exactly like all downhill from here? Like we're not ripping ourselves off, but all downhill from here, the very end of the song, it does the main riff of the song that and it's like, we never play it like that in the song. We just did it really fast at the end. And when we were writing all downhill, one of the jokes that we were doing is, Hey, how many different rhythms can we put on this like riff? But that's how that song is. You're yeah. literally trying to play that rhythm in all different ways or that riff in all different ways. And that's what we did with shook, shook by your shaved head. So I was like, look, it has to be like this because again, if you're talking about, let's try to do what we've always done in the past or, or like go back to what we used to do. This is one of the ways, this is one of the things that back then we didn't know what we were doing, but now we understand it worked. Let's try it on here. And we did just on the, um, on the screen, the stereo stuff. Um, obviously there were a lot of fun and you cover quite, quite a wide ranging genre of, of cover tracks. How do you guys, um, decide and come up with what you're going to, what you're going to do on those, on those records? Yeah. Uh, that's so the first cover record we did way back in the day from the screen, your stereo part one, uh, that was easy because at that time, there were two songs we had already been covering going into it, which is the Titanic theme and uh, My Heart Will Go On, Aerosmith's song from Armageddon. Um, and then the rest of us just picked a song and that kind of made all seven tracks One and inch. that's it. Yeah. So uh, then when we did From the Screen to Stereo what was Park, your What was your track off that one? Uh, I believe it's Gloria Love, and a lot of people would be like, "Oh, you're <laughs> great, saying that because it's the choice. biggest track." But I swear, I think it is. <laughs> I, I swear, I think it is. Um, I had to do a lot of helping with trying to figure out the guitar chords on that song. Um, I'm the guy in the band that people will turn to sometimes in those musical moments because I guess I I understand music a little more than than some of the other guys who just want to play. Um, but anyways, the second Screen Your Stereo record, ten years later, that one was let's pick songs try to go a little more eighties if you can. Uh, but then also we had some nineties stuff on there, but they were slower songs, even though we might've made them faster, a lot of the more slower songs. Uh, so that was an interesting track listing, but I still love a lot of those. And my favorite song off that record is actually the B side for that record. Hungry eyes from Dirty oh, yeah. dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so th those songs I think were great, but it, it is kind of a different feeling record. And then getting back to From the Screen Your Stereo Part 3 is almost the same thing that was going into Forever and Ever Times Infinity. It's what do people enjoy about our covers? And what they enjoy about our covers is that we will take a song and we will newfound glory it. And what I mean by that is it doesn't have to just be fast. Maybe it can be slow, but it needs to get heavier, right? Mm -hmm. It needs to become this song that is ultra catchy, even if it already is catchy. And then the other thing is... You can take a cheesy song and you can make it catchy and people don't necessarily realize that they're now singing along to a cheesy song. And that, uh, I only mentioned that because of, uh, let it go from frozen. Yeah. And so we did that because, well, you can't escape the fact that that movie was massive and that song was everywhere. Admittedly a lot more for somebody who had a, you know, toddler in their household, yeah. but still was massive, but it was one of those like, okay, well let's do this song, but let's make it pretty fast. And if you can, then you can make it pretty fast and it's more like a newfound glory type thing. And it's got that it's the range that kind of works with Jordan's voice. It's a little bit out of his range almost. It's too high, but you <laughs> right. know, you can get him to sing a, a female part and it almost works. Yeah. Um, so th that's the reason why we did that. But then we also had like Eye of the Tiger and Eye of the Tiger, interestingly enough, we uh, first basically we, we arranged that song and performed it on tour on our um, 20 years of pop punk tour. We played that song. We hadn't even recorded it yet. 
but we knew we wanted to do that cover on the record. And it's like, well, let's figure it out and let's give somebody, let's give people something special. Again, this mm -hmm. is what we try to do now on our tours. This is the special thing. You're going to hear a song we've never done before, but we're going to figure out this cover. And it's like, when we do this cover, this cover has to be like a propaganda strung out, like kind of a heavier, faster punk rock. And we did. And we, I think that totally set the tone for that record, which was if ever in doubt with these new covers, play it faster. And so as far as like picking the songs, it was getting a little tough because I feel like nowadays, I mean, you have some, there, there's, we're getting back to some kind of musical movies, but otherwise like the soundtracks aren't the same as they used to be right. back in the nineties. Like soundtracks were awesome. Like there would be songs written for soundtracks that are nowhere else. And people go buy the soundtrack just because that's the only way to get the song. Now it's like a lot of movies, the the songs on the soundtrack are just songs you've heard on the radio. You know what I mean? And sure, it's nothing special, sure. but yeah, so it was trying to get an eclectic mix of stuff, um, on this newest record, try to pick songs that are popular, but it doesn't have to be a brand new movie and, um, you know, get songs like I, the tiger that are heavier, but then get songs like, uh, like the, like the twilight song. That's like, yeah, that's cheesy and super slow, but it's a really great song. And it was cool to be able to put that on the record and kind of slow it down for, for a song. Yeah, I always find like these kind of questions just when I'm a particular fan of the band, just more interesting than I would more generally. But like, I'm just curious, like if you had to pick your favorite newfound album and your least favorite, what those two would be? It's hard to say the least favorite because I don't want to make anybody feel bad. Um, okay. But I'll start with my favorite. And I say this all the time. I think my favorite is Catalyst uh, for a okay. multitude of reasons. Um it's not our highest selling record, but it is the largest or the highest debut we ever had. And at that time in our band, you know, that was just everything we did was was golden. Um, but I also I really enjoy it because we recorded 17 songs for that record. Uh, we did. I believe we released 14 on the album, but then various regions got other tracks. So 17 sure. released somewhere in the world. And those 17 songs, I think, represent just such a wide variety of what Newfound Glory was at the time and still is in a sense of what we can be. Neil Avron worked on that record. That was uh, uh, that was the last of the three records that he produced for yeah. us. Um, and then, you know, he did radio surgery later. But we were just, it was like whatever we wanted to do as far as like, hey, I have this song that kind of sounds like this or that maybe it's a little slower. And Neil was like, okay, well, we can try this. And the ideas that were coming out were insane. So for instance, um, there's this song Doubtful on Catalyst and it's, uh, you know, to be a drummer, it's in like a weird time signature. It's six eights or whatever, which is a, a very weird time signature, but it's heavy, but it's not. And we put a church choir on there and it's like, this isn't some synthesizer that has voices. We literally had a church choir in there. There were two songs that had strings on them. Um, you know, there were songs where Neil was like, Hey, I'm going to record your drums. We're going to do it like the Beatles did where it's, we're using two microphones and that's it, but you got to play differently. And so we were just testing and, you know, we did anything we needed to. And it wasn't just like plug in and go. It was like, let's really think about how to record this and make it sound cool. Right. So I'm a, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd with like audio production and things like that. So I absolutely love it for that reason. And also I just think it's a really cool kind of mixture of songs. Um, as far as least favorite, it's so hard to say because everybody probably thinks I would say coming home because that's the one that commercially didn't do as well. Um, the more I listen to that record, the more I realize that it's, it's got its own kind of identity and it's, uh, there was so much potential that was wasted because of the record label. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I think it was the most, uh, out of our entire career, it was the most like, 
this is the worst timing for a record, right? Because yeah. we released it when a label was was being kind of reinvented and reinventing itself. So it just got lost in the shuffle. Nothing Gold Can Stay is a record that I think is great, but just we didn't do it justice because we couldn't play it well. Of so course, I would love, right. I wish that we could like re-record that. Yeah. So again, I mean, I, I don't know if I could, I can't say a worst record. Fair it's enough. really... Fair enough. <laughs> it bums me out because even Radio Surgery that a lot of people, you know, will say, yeah, it's not that good. I think it's one of our best records. I think it's I, awesome. I, I agree with you. And and with respect, um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the the title track. That's just me though. I'm not saying it's a bad okay. song, but but every other song on that record, I fucking love. I just, and, I think, I think it's, I love that record. And see, that's one of those things where it's radio surgery was called radio surgery because we thought it was a very catchy name, right? And it is like nobody really knows that name. But then when you call a record something, usually that's kind of the forefront of the record. So some of these go into marketing decisions that it sucks because now you're getting away from the creative side and you're yeah. thinking about, well, how does this package itself well and all that? But there were lots of things I think about that record that that were great that again, same thing. It's just maybe it was the timing or something, but yeah, some of those songs, like Drilling in My Brain, I think is an amazing oh, yeah. song. I completely um, agree. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many great, so many great tracks on that Dumped, record. Dumped, that's a great song. Dumped is a great song, yeah. yeah. I, I love that record. Uh, uh, I'm Not the One, I yeah. think is. Yeah. Now, here, I'll tell you something else that a lot of people don't know about this record. Uh, Neil Lavron produced that record. Mm -hmm. I was very excited to have Neil back on board because for a couple records, he didn't work with us. Um, he did. Uh, see not without a fight he mixed which was great okay. mark hoppus produced that which yeah, is awesome yeah, yeah, but then we brought neil back into mix to kind of like make sure it still sounded like us but doing radio surgery it was hard to get him to do that record because at the time he had just finished mixing lincoln park and like he was this massive guy now right. so it's like his schedule is full but he you know he made sure that it worked out because he wanted to to help us out we went into that recording and we had just done the Ramones covers. And I don't know if you, you know, heard yeah. the Mania thing that we did. Yeah, and we yeah, also yeah, did. Yeah. And so we did shows here in the U.S. where we played Ramones stuff. And that was a huge, like, driving factor for the writing, recording, and production of Radio Surgery. And this might sound a little controversial. In some ways, I almost wish we hadn't had done that. Because as much as it was great to do the Ramones stuff, I feel like we put a stigma out before we even started recording that record saying, I think it should sound kind of like, or like newfound glory is doing Ramones. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you do that, you might limit yourself because it's like, well, you got to make sure it sounds like this versus we could just do whatever we want. Maybe we want to bring a choir in or something. So I will give I props to Neil Avron for being able to take that vision and make it work. Yeah. But I was there when there were some decisions made where it's like, well, maybe we shouldn't put this other harmony because the Ramones wouldn't have done that. Or maybe we need to just have two guitar tracks because that's what they would. And I, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish we wouldn't have, because when you have a song like I'm Not the One, at Screaming, a new, it's a newfound glory song. And if we could have produced that like Catalyst, it might have been a little different. Okay. Um, you know? Um, well, I've got like a question I kind of want to end on, really. Um, if that's all right with you, yeah, um, no, good. I, I've been hogging it a little bit as well. So please, <laughs> so please go for it. So I guess the last twenty, what, twenty three, twenty four years is it now? You guys have been, been uh, yeah, it's a uh, twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So coming up twenty five years. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've had kind of quite a few ups and downs across over those years, but I, you see, seem like you're in a really good place at the moment in terms of even you know during the pandemic. You know, um, in an ideal world, what does like the next next 10 20 years look like for for you and you found well if we didn't have a pandemic we would have been rolling strong because we at this point in our career very fortunate that we're able to kind of like uh 
kind of pre-plan what we have because there's so much in the pipeline, as we say. So we're entering the uh, the golden age, which means that we had our 20-year self-titled anniversary last year. Uh, next year, 2022, will be our 20-year of Sticks and Stones anniversary. Oh, no. Catalyst is right around the corner. Like, and literally, if we wanted to, we could just do tours based off of and like marketing based off of that, and that would be enough for most bands. But obviously, right. we're not going to. We still will have new music that we'll do in right. between those, I'm sure. And so, there's so many different things that we can draw on. And obviously, you know, the hope is that we can get back to some sense of normalcy um, sooner than later, so that because the 20 year self titled thing, although it was very special and it was cool to be a live stream, we had. We had plans for that, man. We, sure, you know, we were going to do tours. We were going to do all over the world. And it was going to be awesome because when we did a 10-year anniversary for that, it was amazing. I think Les and Jake was on it in the UK with us. In mm-hmm. the States, we went with, uh, we had Saves a Day with us. I mean, it was great. So that kind of sucked because the pandemic killed that. So hopefully it gets out of the way by the time we get to, uh, to 2022 so we can do a proper thing for Sticks and Stones. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, everything's looking up and up for us because these are the things that I have to look forward to in addition to the normal let's do touring and let's do records and things like that. So, you know, we have the simple plan tour that we were supposed to go on last summer and right. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously we're still trying to see if we can do that, but nobody knows when it will happen. And hopefully both band schedules will still align whenever we're able to do that. Um, so we, we still want to do that. And if we can do that tour, it's going to be massive because the ticket sales for that before the pandemic were insane, seven, eight months out of shows. And, um, you know, we're itching to go back all over the place where we're trying to get back to the UK as fast as we can or as safely as we can all that together. And we will, we will definitely get back. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing but great things to look forward to. So as soon as we can, we will be doing this again. Cool. Great. I mean, that, 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 that feels like a good, good place to maybe wrap things up unless, uh, you had anything else, Nick? No, that's all good, man. Uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Cyrus. Uh, it, yeah, no really worries. Appreciate you giving us some of your time. Um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Wait for you to arrive.